Chapter 9 Prayer and Providence Esther's Action Esther had to be tested. Amid the glitter of the Persian court, she might have grown forgetful of her God. But the sad news came to her that her cousin and her nation were to be destroyed. Sorrow and dread filled her heart. There was no hope for her people unless she would go in unto the king, that despot from whom one angry look would be death. She must risk all and go unrequested into his presence and plead for her nation. Do you wonder that she trembled? Do you marvel that she asked for the prayers of the faithful? Are you surprised to see both herself and her attendants fasting and lamenting before God? Do not think, my prosperous friend, that the Lord has given you a high place so that you may escape the trials that belong to all His people. Yours is not a position of ease, but it is one of the fiercest parts of the battle. Neither the lowest and most quiet position, nor the most public and exposed condition, will enable you to escape the much tribulation through which the church militant must fight its way to glory. Acts 14.22. Why should we want to escape the trial? Should not the gold be tested in the crucible? Should not the strong pillar sustain great weight? When the Menai Bridge was first flung across the straits from Bangor, Wales, to the Isle of Anglesey, the engineer did not stipulate that his bridge should never be tested with great weights. On the contrary, I can imagine him saying, Bring up your heaviest trains and load the bridge as much as you can, for it will bear every strain. The Lord trieth the righteous, Psalm 11, 5, because he has made them of metal that will endure the test. He knows that by the sustaining power of his Holy Spirit they will be held up and made more than conquerors, Romans 8, 37. Therefore, it is a part of the operation of providence to try the saints. Let that comfort those of you who are having trouble at this time. The Lord's wisdom is seen in arranging the smallest events so as to produce great results. We frequently hear people say of a pleasant or a great event, What a providence! They are silent, though, as to anything that appears less important or has an unpleasant quality. But the place of the grass upon the prairie is as fixed as the station of a king, and the dust that is raised by a chariot wheel is as surely steered by providence as the planet in its orbit. There is as much providence in the creeping of an aphid upon a rose leaf as in the marching of an army to ravage a continent. Everything, the most insignificant as well as the most magnificent, is ordered by the Lord who has prepared his throne in the heavens, whose kingdom rules over all. The history before us furnishes proof of this. We have reached the point where Esther is to go in unto the king and plead for her people. Strengthened by prayer, but doubtless still trembling, Esther entered the inner court, and the king's affection led him to hold out the golden scepter instantly. Being told to ask what she wanted, she invited the king to come to a banquet, and she asked him to bring Haman with him. He came and for the second time invited her to ask what she wanted, up to half of his kingdom. Why, when the king was in such a kind spirit, did not Esther speak? He was charmed with her beauty, and his royal word was given to deny her nothing. So why not speak out? But no, she merely asked that he and Haman would come to another banquet of wine tomorrow. 
Daughter of Abraham, what an opportunity you have lost! Why did you not plead for your people? Their very existence depends upon your request, and the king has asked you what you wanted, yet you are hesitant? Was it timidity? It is possible. Did she think that Haman stood too high in the king's favor for her to prevail? It would be hard to say. Some of us are very mysterious, but far more was depending on that woman's unexplainable silence than appears at first sight. She undoubtedly desired to bring out her secret, but the words did not come out. God was in it, it was not the right time for her to speak, and therefore she was led to put off her disclosure. I dare say she regretted it and wondered when she would be able to get to the point, but the Lord knew best. After that banquet, Haman went out joyfully at the palace gate, but being mortified beyond measure by Mordecai's uncompromising posture, he called for his wife and his friends and told them that his riches and honors availed him nothing as long as Mordecai the Jew sat in the king's gate. They could have told him, You will destroy Mordecai and all his people in a few months, and the man is already worrying himself over the decree. Let him live and be content to watch his miseries and gloat over his despair. But no, they counsel speedy revenge. Let Mordecai be hanged on a rope on the top of the house, and let the gallows be set up at once. Early in the morning, let Haman ask for the Jew's life, and let his disrespect be punished. Go, call the workmen, and let the gallows be set up at a great height that very night. It seemed a small matter that Haman would be so enraged just at that hour, but it was a very important item in the whole transaction, for if he had not been so hasty, he would not have gone so early in the morning to the palace, and would not have been at hand when the king asked, Who is in the court? Esther 6, 4. What happened? That very night, when Haman was devising to hang Mordecai, the king could not sleep. What caused the monarch's restlessness? Why did this happen on this night among all others? Ahasuerus is master of a hundred twenty-seven provinces, but not master of ten minutes' sleep. What should he do? Will he call for soothing instruments of music? Will he be entertained with a tale that is told, or with a merry ballad of the minstrel? No, he calls for a book. Who would have thought that this luxurious prince would listen to a reader at the dead of night? He wanted a book. What book? A volume perfumed with roses, musical with songs, and sweet as the notes of the nightingale? No. He commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles. Esther 6, 1. That sounds like dull reading. However, there are 127 provinces. Which volume will the page bring from the recorder's shelves? He chose the record of Shushan, the royal city. That is the center of the empire, and its record is lengthy. In which section will the reader begin to read? He may begin where he pleases, but before he closes the book, the story of the discovery of a conspiracy by Mordecai has been read in the king's hearing. Was not this a remarkable accident? Remarkable if you like, but it was no accident. Out of ten thousand other records, the reader finds that one of all others. The Jews tell us that he began at another place, but that the book closed and fell open at the chapter about Mordecai. Be that as it may, it is certain that the Lord knew where the record was, and He guided the reader to the right page.
Speaking after the manner of men, there were a million chances against one that the king of Persia would, in the dead of the night, be reading the chronicle of his own kingdom, and that this specific part of it would happen to be read to him. But that was not all. The king is interested. He had wanted to go to sleep, but that desire is gone, and he is in a hurry to act. The king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. Esther 6, 3. Then the impulsive monarch said, He shall be rewarded at once. Who is in the court? It was the most unlikely thing in the world for the indulgent Ahasuerus to be in a hurry to do justice, for he had done injustice thousands of times without remorse, and especially on that day when he recklessly signed the death warrant of that very Mordecai and his people. For once the king is intent on being just. Haman stands at the door, but you know the rest of the story. He had to lead Mordecai in public through the streets, Esther 6, 8-11. It seems a very small matter whether you or I will sleep tonight or toss restlessly on our beds, but God will be in our rest or in our wakefulness. We don't know what His purpose may be, but His hand will be in it. No one sleeps or wakes except according to the decree of the Lord. Observe well how this matter prepared the way for the queen at the next banquet, for when she unfolded her sorrow and told of the threatened destruction of the Jews, and then pointed to that wicked Haman, the king must have been even more interested and ready to grant her request when he learned that the man who had saved his life was a Jew, and that he had already awarded the highest honors to a man in every way suited to supersede his worthless favorite. All was well. The plotter was unmasked, the noose was made ready, and he who ordered it was made to try his own arrangements. In his providence, the Lord calls his own servants to be active. This business was done, and well done, by divine providence, but those concerned had to pray about it. Mordecai and all the Jews outside in Shushan fasted and cried unto the Lord. Unbelievers inquire, What difference could prayer make? Prayer is an essential part of the providence of God. It is so essential that you will always find that when God delivers His people, His people have been praying for that deliverance. They tell us that prayer does not affect the Most High and cannot alter His purposes. We never thought it did, but prayer is a part of the purpose and plan, and it is a most effective wheel in the machinery of providence. The Lord sets his people praying, and then he blesses them. Moreover, Mordecai was quite sure that the Lord would deliver his people. He expressed that confidence, but he did not therefore sit still. Rather, he stirred up Esther, and when she seemed a little slack, he put it very strongly If thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then enlargement and deliverance will arise from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Esther 4.14. Invigorated by this message, Esther braced herself to the effort. She did not sit still and say, The Lord will arrange this business, there's nothing for me to do. Instead, she pleaded with God and risked her life and her all for her people's sake. And then she acted very wisely and discreetly in her meetings with the king. We rest confidently in providence, but we are not idle. We believe that God has an elect people, 
and therefore we preach in the hope that we may be the means in the hands of His Spirit of bringing this elect people to Christ. We believe that God has appointed for His people both holiness here and heaven hereafter. Therefore, we strive against sin and press forward to the rest that remains for the people of God. Hebrews 4 9. Instead of repressing our energies, faith in God's providence moves us to diligence. We labor as if all depended upon us, and then we fall back upon the Lord with the calm faith that knows that all depends upon Him. Never was a man so completely defeated as Haman. Never was a project so entirely turned aside. He was taken in his own trap, and he and his sons were hanged upon the gallows set up for Mordecai. As for the Jews, they were in a special kind of danger. They were to be destroyed on a certain day, and, although Esther pleaded with the king for their lives, he was not able to alter his decree, though willing to do so, for it was a rule of the constitution that the law of the Medes and Persians could not be changed. The king could decree whatever he pleased, but once he had decreed it, he could not change it. The people thought it was better to submit to the worst established law than to be left entirely to every sudden whim of the king. Now, what was to be done? The decree was given that the Jews could be slain and it could not be reversed. Here was the door of escape. Another decree was issued giving the Jews permission to defend themselves and allowing them to take the property of any who dared to attack them. Thus, one decree effectively neutralized the other. With great haste, this mandate was sent all over the kingdom. On the appointed day, the Jews stood up for themselves and slew their enemies. According to their tradition, nobody attempted to attack them except the Amalekites, and consequently only Amalekites were slain. The race of Amalek was on that day swept off the face of the earth. God thus gave to the Jews a high position in the empire. We are told that many became Jews or were proselytes to the God of Abraham because they saw what God had done. Esther 8:17. As I began by saying that God sometimes darted flashes of light through the thick darkness, you will now see what a flash this must have been. All the people were perplexed when they learned that the Hebrews could be put to death, but they must have been far more astonished when the decree came that they could defend themselves. All the world asked, Why is this? The answer was, The living God whom the Jews worship has displayed His wisdom and rescued His people. All nations were compelled to feel that there was a God in Israel, and thus the divine purpose was fully accomplished. His people were secured, and His name was glorified to the world's end. It's clear that the divine will is accomplished, yet men are perfectly free agents. Haman acted according to his own will, Ahasuerus did whatever he pleased, Mordecai behaved as his heart moved him, and Esther did the same. We see no interference with them. We see no force or coercion. Therefore, the entire sin and responsibility rest with each guilty person, yet, acting with perfect freedom, none of them acts otherwise than divine providence had foreseen. I can't understand it someone says. I'm compelled to say the same. I don't understand it either. 
I have known many people who think they understand all things, but I think they have a higher opinion of themselves than truth would support. Some of my brethren deny free agency, and so try to get out of the difficulty that way. Others assert that there is no predestination, and so cut the knot. Since I do not desire to get out of the difficulty, and have no desire to close my eyes to any part of the truth, I believe both free agency and predestination to be facts. How they can be made to agree, I do not know, or care to know. I am satisfied to know anything that God chooses to reveal to me, and I am equally content not to know what he does not reveal. There it is. Man is a free agent in what he does. He is responsible for his actions, and he is truly guilty when he does wrong. He will be justly punished, too, and if he is lost, the blame will rest with himself alone. Yet there is one who rules over all, who, without complicity in their sin, makes even the actions of wicked men to serve his holy and righteous purposes. Believe these two truths, and you will see them in practical agreement in daily life, even though you won't be able to devise a theory for harmonizing them on paper. Wonders can be worked without miracles. When God does a wonderful thing by suspending the laws of nature, people are greatly astonished and say, This is the finger of God. Exodus 8 19. Today, though, they say to us, Where is your God? He never suspends his laws now. I see God in the history of Pharaoh, but I must confess, I see him just as clearly in the history of Haman, and I think I see him there in an even brighter light. For, I say it with reverence to his holy name, it is a somewhat rough method of accomplishing a purpose to stop the wheels of nature and reverse wise and admirable laws. Certainly, it reveals his power, but it does not so clearly display his immutability. When, however, the Lord allows everything to go on in the usual way, and gives mind, thought, ambition, and passion their full liberty, yet still achieves his purpose, it is doubly wonderful. In the miracles of Pharaoh we see the finger of God, but in the wonders of providence without a miracle we see the hand of God. Today, whatever the event may be, the attentive eye will as clearly see the Lord as if by miraculous power the hills had leaped from their place, or the floods had stood upright as a heap. I am sure that God is in the world, and is even at my own fireside and in my room. He manages my affairs and orders all things for me and for each one of his children. We don't need any miracles to convince us of his working, for the wonders of his providence are just as great marvels as miracles themselves. Let each child of God rejoice that we have a protector so near the throne. Every Jew in Shushan must have felt hope when he remembered that the queen was a Jewess. Today let us be glad that Jesus is exalted. He is at the Father's side, the man of love, the crucified. Footnote. This is from a hymn by Josiah Conder, 1789-1855, that begins with, The Lord is King, lift up thy voice. How safe are all his people! For, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 2 1. There is one, 
who remains in the presence of God, who will plead for all those who put their trust in Him. Therefore, be not dismayed, but let your souls rest in God and wait patiently for Him. Heaven and earth will sooner pass away than those who trust the Lord will perish.